discuss the ins, discuss the outs, and let's talk about. Let's talk about. Let's talk about. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About the Arts with myself, Fergal Curtis. I'm here with the gorgeous Ren for another episode in 2022. Ren has brought some three prompts, really, really interesting prompts, and I'm dying to get into them. So I actually met Ren only a few weeks ago. Was it a few weeks ago? A few yeah, months ago? Yeah, I have no concept of time. Me neither. Maybe, but we'll say a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks we'll fine. say a couple of weeks yeah. ago. He was on another podcast, which has just launched, so Queer Classified. On. They were on another podcast. Thank you very much. You're um, And they were amazing on it. And straight after it, I contacted them and said... Please come on my podcast and chat to me. Let's talk about the arts. So let's talk about the arts. Totally. So I want to start with your first prompt. So I went with the Good Witch Review because I know Mm. you as a performer. Yeah. Um, I've gone on your socials. I've seen you perform. Uh, Amazing singer, amazing drag artist. So I was like, let's start with what I know you for. Yeah, great. So the, the Good Witch Review protect your magic yeah tell us about it why does this represent you as an artist so that was a really kind of important show for me and it was a real turning point in kind of my drag career okay and it happened quite early on so my drag journey was that I came up with the idea for my drag character Evoke a Reaction yes um, great name thank you very much <laughs> uh, in about 2017 I was like I definitely want to do drag um, okay. and it sort of percolated for a while and then I decided that my debut would be DCU Drag Race, which is this big um, drag competition hosted by DCU yes. uh, LGBTQ talk, but anybody can enter. You don't have to be a student oh. uh, or you don't have to be a DCU grad. I just oh, happened I to be that. a DCU grad. Okay. Um, but yeah, anybody can enter it, um, anybody in drag. So I decided that would be my drag debut um, and I put loads of work into it. Uh, and I wanted my debut to be like really polished mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, people would see me and be wowed and I would immediately booked and like I'd, you know, yeah. shoot myself to superstardom in one gig, basically. I of course, that's I how we all start off. Isn't totally. It? <laughs> yeah. I have no patience. Can you tell? Yeah. Um, so I did the competition. It went really well. I came third um, and was delighted with myself. And from that, Pixie Wu, who's a fabulous Dublin drag queen, yes. said you should chat to Veda, who is another fabulous drag queen who yes. hosts Wednesday Who records Paz Vibes here. Oh, they record Paz Vibes yeah. here. Oh my God, yeah. the Tall Tales family. Listen, we love our peeps here. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Veda is phenomenal. And she, she invited, so I asked her, could I do a slot at the show? She said, of course. Um, and being a little maverick slash diva, and we'll come to this in one of my other prompts as Ooh, well. Oh, Okay. I, at the time, was still sort of finding finding my feet and was like, my main goal was to try and do drag that nobody else was doing. Because I could see through RuPaul's Drag Race, there was sort of this like homogenization of drag culture where all drag performers were essentially kind of looking, sounding, feeling the same. So it's like, yeah. I don't wear wigs. I don't lip sync. I sing live. I don't do this. I don't do that, et cetera, et cetera. It was all, I had this long laundry list of things like, I don't do this. So okay. I'm different from all these other performers. So I had this fabulous opportunity to do a night at the George. And in my mind, I was like, I'm going to get booked here. I'm going to get like a regular slot here. I was Mm. so kind of ahead of myself. So I put together an act that involved me singing live and someone playing guitar live. The George is fabulous, but they they are not equipped for that kind of a setup. Okay. And the expectation was that like you come along and do like a George style performance, which would be you come on, lip sync and you go off and that's it. There's no messing. So because of that, then I was like, I'm going to rebel, rebel against the system here. I'm going to come in and be really punk. And um, the performance itself went down like a sack of spuds because the setup wasn't there for it on the night, which is no fault of Ada's or anybody in the George. No. I hadn't checked things properly. I kind of went under her nose. And I um, brought in a guitarist who like came on when I was announced, was like plugging stuff into the stage. And there's a whole okay. delay and all of this sort of stuff. So I kind of shot myself in the foot there. So... Okay. I kind of realized from that, like, the there's only two really gay bars in Dublin or drag bars in Dublin. There's in the Georgian and Panty. I know there's drag at other venues, like at Mother and, and stuff like that. They're the big ones. But they're the big ones, and they're yeah. the ones where you'd have, like, a regular slot or a paid mm-hmm. a paid job. Um, so, yeah, I kind of realized from that night that, A, that's not where my drag fits best. Okay. And, B, I'd probably stepped on enough people's toes to, you know, probably just need to step away. But after that... Um, 
bookings were like kind of few and far between um, and it just so happened that somebody who had performed with at DC Drag Race ended the night who was the winner the year prior was putting on a fundraiser and asked me to perform at that and through that I got cast in the Good Witch Review so the Good Witch Review okay. which is one of my prompts was uh, a show that was put on um, it was kind of every three months or so uh, by an amazing performer um, Sarah Louise and she programmed me first and that was the first time I did like had my name on a poster and it really felt like all these things were happening and it was like a burlesque and cabaret show as opposed to a drag show mm-hmm. um, and being introduced to like the burlesque and cabaret community was such a huge turning point for me okay because it was so different from what I'd experienced from the drag scene which is wonderful in itself but the burlesque and cabaret scene is a completely different set of people and a really different way of running a show um, and I now run my own show, The Queer Cabaret, that happens yeah. bi-monthly at Bolane. Um, so from that one performance at the Good Witch Review, I was like, oh, this is what I want to be doing. Okay, great. This is the kind of room I want to be working in. Uh, and these are the kind of people that I want to work with. Because having performed at the George and at other kind of bigger drag events like DCU Drag Race, it's all that sort of expectation that you'll do the kind of drag 101. So you'll do like lip sync and do a death drop and you'll look a certain way and all the rest of it. Whereas in the burlesque and cabaret world, it's much more of a come as you are. The audience are much more open. The audience are way more attentive, I find as well. Okay. So like performing at the George is, was a strange experience. I, I did it subsequently after that one, one other time. Um, and it's really hard to hold that room, kind of the way the room is structured, yeah. the way the performance happened, happens in the George, which is kind of like incidental. So it just sort of comes on for a half an hour at a, at a certain point in the night, as opposed to be like, take your seats, the show is about to begin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of... Because it's a bar, it's like literally, bar performances. Totally. Um, whereas with Cabaret, you still have that feel of like you're on a night out, but you kind of do sit and watch the show. Yeah. So you can put like a level of detail into your performance and a level of kind of audience interaction into your performance. Um, and that was really attractive to me. Um, so if I hadn't, I feel like if I hadn't been cast in that uh, burlesque show, um, I wouldn't kind of be on the track that I am now, kind of producing cabaret and working as kind of a, a dragon cabaret artist in mm-hmm. that way, which I find really, really fulfilling. I'd love to ask you around the time that you kind of stepped, you did that gig for the George. Ooh. And okay, it didn't go maybe as planned, which yeah. we've all been there. We've all done those shitty gigs. How did you feel around then? Were you like, maybe drag's not for me because the only drag kind of visibility was that bar. Yeah. Uh, were you like, were you like, I'm going to go find my place or were you like, shit, maybe this isn't for me. Should I look for a different style of performance? Where was your head up for that? And what helped you? Well, I suppose getting the cabaret gig helped you, mm. but did you kind of seek out or did you go, Oh, I don't, I don't know if this is for me. I was definitely resigned after that first uh, experience with the George because I felt like I'd ruined my chance, basically. Okay. Because I saw kind of drag in Dublin as being like, either you're employed in the George or you're not employed at yeah, all. Yeah, fair. Because, you know, the queens who work in the George and the the, the one king, Filthy Gorgeous. Yeah. Um, you know, they get a lot of like corporate work and they get like media appearances and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, there's a fast track um, yes. to sort of drag success or whatever. Um not actually being aware of the really vibrant sort of like a cabaret and burlesque scene, but be sort of the underground kind of queer scene um, mm-hmm. that was there um, and not realizing that my place was probably more over on that side of things. But yeah, I was really, really despondent for a while. And I was like, how, how do I make this up to Veda? <laughs> so I get hired at the George. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, yeah, like no, no disrespect to, to Veda or any of the, the Queens of the George, but I definitely realized that that wasn't where, I was going to flourish and I was going to kind of find my place. Um, and it was kind of one of the, it was one of the best things ultimately that ever happened. Even though there was, I had a lot of regret around that at the time okay. because it made me go off and sort of forge my own path. Um, and then, so I think the Good Witch Review was like November 2018. So then by January mm-hmm. 2019, I'd set up my own show. Um, and that was... Um, when it's right, it, it's right, it just happens, doesn't it? Totally. And it just, everything started to unfold at that stage and kind of slot into place. And it was kind of from, it was a really good lesson in like, they talk about with, you know, actors, creatives, whatever, that like you have to be on the hustle and you have to be on the make and you have to make your mm-hmm. own look, et cetera, et cetera. And that was very much the the goal at the start. And I had a very um, laser focus on one particular outcome that I wanted, which was like a regular slot in the George. Yeah. But what I realized is like by kind of sitting back and sort of letting things happen a little bit, that's how things actually came together. For and me. it's so difficult to pick. I was having a chat with my friend about this yesterday. 
And I think that this can be an issue in Ireland because it's small. You oh, yeah. know, we're a small country, we're a small scene. Each art form is also a small scene. If you're in a particular art form, you probably know everyone who's doing it. Yeah. You know, and when you only can have, and I had this problem in my career when I moved back from London, when you have one focus and one goal and you're like, that is the only way mm. and it's not happening for you and not happening for you and you keep knocking it down. Whereas the minute you go, let go of that, hold on a minute, what's over here? Totally. And you've missed so much. Yeah. yeah. You know, what do you think about finding your place in this cabaret scene? What strengths do you think you had that allowed yourself to flourish there? And what have you learned since? What skills have you built since being in that scene? Great question. So like the, I think the reason I was able to establish myself is that I had previously started working in theatre as like an assistant producer. So I had been in this um, Shakespeare in the Park show back in 2014 where I met this amazing actor, Aideen McCann, who's gone on to have major success in in theatre. But she was just back from London. She trained in Oxford and spent a few years there and had just come back and this was like her first gig back in Dublin. And I had like a little walk-on part in the Shakespeare. One of my scenes was with her, so we got close. And she had just set up a theatre company they were kind of up to their eyes doing a fringe show and they just needed somebody who had like a decent head on their shoulders to come in and like yeah. help them send a few emails or do a bit of running around and printing and stuff like yeah. that. So I worked with them for like kind of three years on and off while I was finishing college. And um, the skills that I picked up there as a producer and I subsequently went on to do like a little producer training course that allowed me then those skills that I built up there were what allowed me to set up the queer cabaret because I already had an idea of like how to get a show up and running how to market it mm-hmm. how to manage a cast um, how to get people in and how to keep people coming back basically and that sort of sense of or- the organizational side of putting on a show and there's a lot of a lot of work that goes into that um, but what I've learned sort of creatively I guess along the way is that I don't know if this applies to everybody as like general advice but definitely for me like I definitely needed my own space to perform yeah um so that I could kind of try things out and experiment and try and fail at things and Mm -hmm. just have an especially for me because I do a lot of hosting and I really love hosting and emceeing um so having a monthly show where I could just kind of do that for two hours and it was kind of on my own dime. So if I messed it up, it was, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Yes. But that was so, so important. And like, that's become, that's what I've kind of become known for, or I get booked for a lot is to host shows. So host okay. a drag show or a cabaret show. Um. So yeah, having the queer cabaret there for myself as a kind of a training ground was yes. really important. Um, and subsequently, and I don't take full credit for this, but I did notice that after I set up my show, lots of other people started setting up their own shows. Lots of yeah. other drag artists. I think it's great because you can wait around for ages trying to get a slot in an established show. And I'm not going to just talk about George the whole time, but that's the only kind of drag bar that's that we have. That's a representation of a regular show here in Ireland. Totally, yeah. But, but kind of wherever you are, you know, a lot of the time you're sort of at the behest of the people who run those shows. And oftentimes you know they're quite protective of their patch as they have every right to be so you can be kind of waiting around a long time to either get a slot in the first place or to kind of move up the chain and sort of have your have your own performance space um but I feel really lucky that I had those sort of producer skills in my back pocket that Mm -hmm. allowed me to kind of go off and have the kind of the brass neck to go like no this I have my own show now I can do this over here Um, and yeah, kind of, when was that? January 2019, no concept time. So three years later, it's still still going. It's so. still going. Where does that bravery come, do you think? Because that is a big thing. There's a lot of things in my career and I've always kind of been, you know, have worked for companies, you know, have very much auditioned follow I've mm. never had the bravery to go I'm going to do something by myself mm. probably let's talk about the arts is the first thing that I was like deep breath let's go and I was so lucky that I knew Cassie that she was like able to go I'm just going to help you let's go yeah you know where did the bravery come like the idea of putting on a show or a cabaret and I've been involved in cabarets mm. and the people who organize it I'm just like where are you getting this bravery because no one could show up yeah or yeah. you know Things could go wrong technically that you wouldn't, you know, be like, fuck, what do I do? Totally, Where did that, like, did you just go, let's just jump in and do it? Or were you petrified? No, I was really, really excited at the start. Um, And it just, there's something about it just just felt really right. Um, 
and it, it's taken me a long time to sort of work out the formula for what works like yeah okay the, the first maybe three or four shows were like amazing crack but they were I booked about 15 acts for each so they were about three and a half hours long um mm. uh, you know it was there was a lot there was a lot of drag and a lot of cabaret and all the rest of it and um it took me a while to figure out kind of uh, what what works and what doesn't in terms of kind of having a recurring cast or having special guests or yes. I've changed venues as well and had kind of had to work work through those things um, and there's definitely been times where like very few people have turned up um, but thankfully there's been kind of enough of an, an interest and enough of a buzz around it from the people who go um, that it's sort of kept going like sometimes limping along other times kind of thriving but like I don't know the, the bravery part I kind of forget about that until it comes to kind of ticket sale times or like the, the night of um, and then then it gets kind of scary. Um, the bit that I find difficult is like the sense of responsibility you have over the over the people you hire, I guess, or the people you cast in the show. I love that. Um, because I want to make sure that everybody gets paid is, is the thing. Um, and that's tricky when you're in a venue that maybe only holds 80 to 100 people yeah. and you want to have like a six person cast or something like that. Mm-hmm. Plus you've got to pay, I've got to pay a graphic designer and I have to pay a sound engineer and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So there's that, the, there's the Chris Jenner momager side of it. That's like, that's risky. Um, do you thrive in that role? Do you think? If I had all the money in the world, I'd definitely work with the producer okay, yeah. for sure. Right. Because um, I know I can do those things, but I also know from working from my early kind of work as a producer, I was always kind of there mostly in, a, in an assisting capacity mm. or working with artists who were like self-producing artists. And I just observed so many times how that it's so difficult to do both, to both perform or create and produce yeah. because they're completely different um, sides of your brain, kind of left brain, right brain Definitely. sort of thing for sure. And the producing, I think, will always eat into your creative time because um, the logistical stuff and all of that management um, takes so much work. And you can, because you're splitting your time, you're only ever going to do 50% of the job that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely, I, w- I would love, like in an ideal world, you know, if a venue approached me and were like, I'm going to give you two grand a month to put on this show, I'd be giving half that to a producer who could like produce the shit out of it. Yeah. And, you know, that would leave me more time to work on it creatively. Because that's kind of what suffers on my end, is that like, there's times where I'd like to, there's stuff I'd like to try out or there's ideas that I'd like to, for numbers that I'd like to put together or hosting ideas or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And because I've got to do the the grunt work of getting the marketing together and getting bums on seats and making sure everybody has their backing tracks and making sure the sound engineer's got everything they need and all that, you've got to sacrifice yeah. a bit of the creative time. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. Good. I'd love to ask, so the Goodwitch review kind of set you on the right direction of your career. Yeah. And now you've got the queer cabaret. Yeah. What, and it's doing really well. It's only been three years. That I see that as quite a baby company. Yeah. What do you kind of hope for it? Let's say, let's put a 10-year number on it. What? How would you like to see that grow? Yeah, I'd love to see it. In a way, like we don't have... We don't have the venues in Ireland or in Dublin that I'd like to see this in, basically. Okay. But an idea, I'd love to see it in somewhere like Sugar Club or Number 22 or somewhere like yes. that. Um that's a bit shinier and a bit um a bit you know a bit more looks um i'd love to have set it set up for that kind of those venues are definitely set up for a cabaret style show yeah 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 um because there are some great cabarets that happen we don't really have those sort of cabaret venues whereas like compared to london where they're like to a penny yeah um and I'd love to have it be more regular than just once once a month or once every two months or whatever. Because at the moment, it's kind of whatever I have time for. Fair. I used to be very strict about having it every month. And that was detrimental both to my you know nervous system and also the show. Yeah, of course. Um, so now, like, if I'm busy, it'll just be a kind of, we're going to do one in two months or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Um, there hasn't been a longer gap than that yet. But I'm like, you know, if, if I'm busy... Because what I initially hoped for the Queer Cabaret, Cabaret, and it has sort of happened to an extent, is that... I wanted to create sort of like almost like a like Priscilla Queen of the Desert kind of hippie commune mm. where everyone was going to pitch in and we were all going to produce the show and it would become like a theatre company or like a um, an ensemble. Um, but it still kind of wound up with me being the kind of, you know, organiser, momager sort of person. Um, because everybody else does, does other things. How could you see it translating? Like, do you think there's anything you could do I, I know, you see, the problem is money. Like, That's it. you know, yeah. but is there any way that you could be like, 
maybe I could let go of this. Like you said earlier, like I'd love to let go of the producing side of things yeah. and focus on host and performing. Yeah. Is there any way you could see you pivoting to it being more of that ensemble feel? Yeah, possibly. I can, money, money is the thing. Yeah, like, you know, I'd be, it's just from the way I've worked and I know from being asked to do things for free, like it, I would be loath to ask a producer to come and do that for free because I know how much work it takes. Yes. Um. So yeah, until I can afford one, I'm kind of producerless. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. But it is, it's, it's really tricky and I, it's good to remind myself that it is only three years. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like it's been running for ages now because it's been running yeah. for three years. But it's, but yeah, it's, so it's early well days. For three yeah. years. Oh. Like it's mm. really doing incredibly. What is kind of, what do you look for in your performers? Let's say, cause you said it's not just drag. It's no. cabaret performers. Yeah. Like when you're setting out a kind of, you know, a list of people that are going to perform in one event. Like, what are you looking for? Are you like, I need a bit of this. I need a bit of that. I need a bit of this. Or are you like, let me see what's out there. Um, most recently it's been more focused on um, our sort of queer cabaret ensemble so for the first maybe two years of its life it was kind of um, a different cast for every show with some sort of repeat um, people but what I've kind of come down to now which works much better for me organizationally is that there's the core cast of six of us for the queer cabaret not everyone can do every show um, but usually we'll add one or two special guests so within that kind of queer cabaret family there's already a good bit of diversity Great. And my first protocol for any any time I'm casting a show is kind of, is this performer kind of somebody who's somebody who's in a category of either performance or whatever it is who who kind of isn't being platformed on in the mainstream, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's kind of always what I'm interested in because like particularly with queer performance, we're saturated with drag queens who are cis men doing drag as women. Yeah. That's wonderful. I love it and huge fan of Repulse Drag Race, etc. Yeah. But it's already getting a lot of attention. It's already getting a lot of money. Do you know, they're kind of, they're set. So there are drag queens in the show, but it's also really important for me to have drag kings and to have yes. kind of alternative performers. Um, and then outside of the kind of this, the drag set, we've also had like live music and burlesque and stand up yes. and um, performance art, um, which is just, I just really love to watch myself. Um, and kind of my criteria for casting is like usually I have to have seen somebody and been like they're amazing do you know what I mean and the queer cabaret sort of catchment is quite broad um, and I like it that way that it's sort of a an old-timey kind of variety show mm-hmm. um, but definitely the focus is on platforming people or groups that are less represented how difficult is it to stay connected to that kind of like I want to celebrate people who aren't as mainstream or I want to celebrate people who aren't as well known. Mm. Is that tricky to be like, I'm going to go for the underdog over there as opposed to maybe someone who's like pretty well known. They're like, Avoca, put me on your show. Mm. Or let's say a little kid, you know, who doesn't really have much of an into the queer world or an older queer person who's like, I want to go back and actually get into performing or, you know, is it easy to go, I'm going to go take that risk because that's what I want to see? Or do you, like, would you be like, oh, they're, they're, I know they're good? Yeah, like, I think that's probably part of the reason why I'm not a billionaire already is that okay. I've, you know, stuck to my guns in the sense that, like, there are certain performers who I could have booked along the way who would be, like, money makers and would yeah. get, get people in and get bums on seats. Um, but that would be for me like straying away from the point of the whole exercise I really really respect that I think <clears throat> yeah, that's really difficult yeah but I mean the the goal of the show for me was never to make money okay. um, it's not a it's not a financial venture for me it's about a having a space for myself to perform and try out material b to have a space for other people who were who like me were not cookie cutter fitting into that cookie cutter mold of what a queer performer is mm-hmm. um and age to kind of give them a, a chance to try out stuff but also a platform um to be you know represented and appreciated yeah. um but beyond that as well what happened really quickly was that people really started to see but I got feedback that was like we really appreciate this as a queer space and as a community space at the shows because people would hang out after and make new friends and meet kind of like-minded queer people yeah. um I think the fact that like, you know, queer is in the name that it's not a gay night. It's not a lesbian night. It's not a trans only night or whatever. No. It's quite like it's a real sort of open door policy. 
Um, and the the best feedback I've gotten from people isn't about the show itself, which is always fabulous and that's great. Mm-hmm. But I always really appreciate the people who say like, I haven't been in a room like this in so long where it feels like I could be friends with everybody here or that's I've met so many other people who are like me or... You know, we get younger people who are coming along who are questioning or then the older people who are questioning as well, which is even more touching in some ways. Um, So for me, that it's kind of a Mother Teresa answer. But like, even if the show never makes money financially, I'm really glad to have been part of sort of providing that community space. Are you proud of yourself that you've created that space? Really, really proud of it. And that's that's what keeps me going is that because often like I don't get paid from the show. So once everybody's paid... I, there's very little left for me but mm-hmm. I do get the artistic satisfaction of having produced something and having performed in something but then also the there's a there's a little kind of there's a reward in having created that space as well yeah. mm. do you want to shout out your core ensemble tell us a little bit about yeah. each of them just so we can have a little insight to that yeah so we have uh, my drag daughter goblins 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 my only drag child okay she is incredible so the most um, were you like i'm having one child that's it i'm done oh yeah honestly <laughs> honestly i just i i was it was at a stage where i was like i was feeling very grand i was okay. like i should have children so i was like you'll be my child and you'll be my child <laughs> had a couple of others who ran away from home okay uh, who got who emancipated got emancipated themselves <laughs> and uh yeah but no goblins is goblins is great so goblins 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 is kind of it's kind of stand-up, it's kind of performance art, has to be seen to be understood, very difficult to describe, kind of wacko, um, yeah, kind of performance art level, but Niall, who is Goblins, 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 mm-hmm. is just so intelligent and such a kind of a one-off, unique person. Um, and I just happened to randomly meet Niall on a night out. Uh, it was actually the Night of the Good Witch Review, because ah. Niall's partner, Graham, was performing at that. Um, okay, so we we got chatting afterwards and I was like who is this magical little creature wow. I was like do you do drag and he was like no and I was like you should do drag um, oh my god oh, so you proper like got them proper into the got game them oh into I the love game. that um, and yeah she does amazing uh, re- really like quite long quite bizarre sets that are very kind of like cultural references she has this mad Enya set where she comes out as Enya and yeah you have to you have to see it to believe it but okay. uh, Goblins' Instagram is like um, amazing so amazing video content that's the Ash Goblins underscore Goblins underscore Goblins great then easy to remember easy to remember yeah. Goblins times three um, then we have two fabulous drag kings End of the Night and Ben Panthera so End of the Night had one DCU drag race the year before I competed and is an amazing performer um yeah, Endo has like an, an, an art and kind of sculpture background, studied in NCAD. Oh, cool. So his approach to kind of making a performance is always um, like creative is kind of too kind of watery a word for it because like it's really conceptual. Yeah. So he'll, he makes all of his own costumes and does like a, a really elaborate themed costume for every number that he does. Um, and just visually is, is a sight to behold. And then Ben Panthera is from, uh, originally from Dublin, living in Sligo. They're an amazing performer and... Um, a really kind of suave, sexy uh, drag king um, and a beautiful person to have backstage. Then we have our two queens, so Coco Chanel number five and Ariana Grinder. Coco Chanel number five is like a, a queer cabaret OG, so she would have been in one of the very first shows that we did. And she's kind of like our, she's like our little RuPaul's Drag Race Pokemon icon. So she'll come okay. out and do like the death drop splits, that kind of right. stuff. Um, we're going to give you what you want as well exactly and yeah and challenge it totally <laughs> and coco's fabulous on the mic she's a great host as well she's hilarious that kind of classic like acid tongue to read you for filth kind okay, of queen cool. and then ariana is just like a little superstar she's amazing um she very much kind of does her own thing and i remember asking her to perform at the queer cabaret as like a guest performer and afterwards she was like i'd love to come back for another one i was like do you want to like join the family and she's like oh my god i was like i so wasn't expecting that because she was so like off doing her own thing but she's just such a doll she does kind of um live she sings live and does kind of parody covers of um of pop songs yeah i have seen some of her stuff really really funny and um a real kind of queen's queen as well real kind of old school dublin sense of humor and just out like out of drag uh, is such a sweetheart 
and Neville, who is who is Ariana Grande, was in Bugsy Malone, which was my next prompt. So yes. like when we were kids, we were in that together. And then years later, I saw her in the Georgian drag. I just went up to like chat to her to be like, you're a queen. I do drag, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I know you. You were in Bugsy Malone. I was like, no way. Amazing. Um, and yeah, it's amazing that we now do shows together. And regularly. what a segue, because that's the next one I had oh, on my fab. list. So we had the Bugsy Malone. I loved this. I... Um, Ren sent me a video. I clicked in and I was like, I remember this show. Do you? Yeah. I remember, because I, like, was it 2008? Five. 2005. 2005. Okay, the YouTube video, I think, was okay, 2008. Okay. So 2005. So I was, like, just finishing school. So I was a bit older. Okay. Um, but I was performing in the Olympia every year with National Performing Arts School. Right. And loads of the younger kids That's were going... MPAS. MPAS. Yeah, yeah. Were going for, like, the Bugsy Malone. So as I was watching the video, I was like, is that so-and-so? And, so? and no I, I could kind of recognize... Way. And I was like, this is so bizarre. I remember this show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I was a good few years older than the age that would have been in it but okay. I knew a couple of the younger ones yeah. from the MPAS shows oh my god that's mad so tell us about this show and why you why you chose this one so that was my first ever like professional gig that was my first yeah. paid gig um, and that's I kind think of that what was started a quite a big thing then it was huge four kids like that it was a professional gig yeah, yeah it was huge and it was really really professional so you know there was like an open an open call um like in the papers and stuff and there was auditions in the ambassador back when it was a cinema it's like um, a film waiting to happen 100 <laughs> percent. so like you went and you queued up outside the yeah ambassador. i remember my dad brought me in and you were brought onto the stage of the ambassador which was huge um and you sang your little song and whatever but i got cast in and there was like it was weekend rehearsals but we rehearsed for something like three or four months and then it was a two-week run in the Olympia, two shows a day for, like, the whole Christmas holidays, basically. It was like, a it was proper, proper professional like, engagement. Yeah. We were paid pittance, but anyway. Um, it was incredible, and it was such a... Like, it was kind of a surreal experience to, at that age, having done, like, local shows and kind of music, uh, musical society stuff, stage school stuff, to be performing to, like, 1,200 people or whatever it is in the Olympia twice a day. Yeah. Um, and... You know, being around the Olympia, the Olympia dressing rooms, like proper mic dressers, all that sort of stuff, proper side stage crew. And it was really, it was a really great education in kind of, I guess, like professional etiquette. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. At like a really early stage. Um, and yeah, it was so much fun to do. And it really felt like I'd kind of, I'd been bitten by like uh, the, the theatre bug. I remember my mom brought me to see her friend's daughter was in the local stage school and they had their end of year show and we went along to see it and afterwards I turned to my mom it was about nine I was like that I want to do that that's it that's, and that's that that's what I want <laughs> to do and I started in stage school then or whatever but yeah. Bugsy really kind of solidified it um but yeah there was a really important lesson I learned in there as well kind of about professional conduct was I played Fizzy, the janitor. I don't know if you know Bugs Malone. I don't the film. know that well. I know a lot okay. of the songs from teaching. But... Okay, okay. So it sings this beautiful song called Tomorrow. And um, it's a lovely song, but it's written for like, kind of like a, a baritone bass, say. Because in Bugs Malone, the film, um, kids played all the characters, but, the, but adults sang the songs. Yeah, did the voices, yeah. So all of the, the songs were sort of in an adult key. And I was like 11, 12. My voice hadn't broken yet. And I used to have a really high soprano and I could belt like crazy. Okay, cool. And in like stage school, in singing class or whatever, or like I used to do pantos. And it was all about like improv. So like if you can just mm -hmm. go off and improv and do whatever you want. Uh, and I was always given free reign. So David Hayes, the musical director, who'd be like quite a well-respected musical director, yes. had like put, brought us all into a room one by one. And we went through all our songs and he did all the arrangements and he was the MD and blah, blah, blah. He was the conductor. So I remember like the, the crescendo or the, the kind of the high point of the song was it went until your scream becomes a love shout and that was it she just and that that was your top note yeah and i knew i was like i can sing like three octaves above that and i could belt and riff and all this crazy shit and i was like and this it's just not this just isn't doing it for me this doesn't suit it me. doesn't suit me so but <laughs> david hayes was a little bit frightening so i didn't want to say that to him in the room so instead what i would do is on the night it is particularly if somebody was in. So like if my stage school teacher was in or I knew somebody who was in, I was like, oh, I'm going to give them some alternate notes. So okay. it would be like, until your screen becomes a love shit. And I'd like go way out of the park and be belting crazy high notes and like doing the thing, Mariah, all day long. Yeah. And 
what was happening was like first of all they were like that's not what we taught you to do stop like don't do don't do that but then beyond that there was like I was doing this like big slide up into a high note that was clashing with stuff that was like coming Mm -hmm. down the band and whatever and yeah I had to be told off several times before I finally uh got the picture but I was okay. a little, I was a little diva. I totally was. I was like, no, this is my moment, and I will. Do you have know? My I moment. would love to explore that because you mentioned it a bit earlier about like etiquette and learning it. Yeah. And I'm gonna ask you through you in your role now. What do you expect from your performers that show up? Yeah. Like, what professionalism kind of do you expect? Do you look out for things? Mm. Who's saying their thank you and please? Who's yeah. getting to know the rest of the cast? Like, what do you expect? Timekeeping is huge for me. Okay. People always talk about like, oh, never expect a drag queen to be on time. I will always expect a drag queen to be on time. And if right. a drag queen is not on time, I will have words. Um, like lateness within a certain, within for good reason or whatever is fine. But when people just like take the piss and are like an hour late, because like, oh, I'm, I'm a drag queen. That's what we do. Don't like that. Because I come from the theatre where like you turn up to rehearsal sometimes. You, you got your be, time call. You've got a time call. You've got to be there. If not, it fucks up the whole show. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of drag cabaret behavior that I don't enjoy. And it's kind of as a result of the way the shows are run is that you have like the nature of the shows that you have a lot of individual artists coming together to do a show rather yeah. than an ensemble or a company who work together and then perform the show is that there isn't always that sense that everybody has to be pulling the, their weight the same amount for the whole thing to run. So... Yeah, I expect timekeeping and also kind of just a general awareness that like it's about everybody, not just about you, Mm -hmm. whoever they are. Um, Backstage etiquette is really important to me. Dressing rooms are really sacred spaces because you want to be comfortable. I want my cast to be comfortable going on because I want to be comfortable going on. I know that like I perform at my best when I'm able to relax and things are chill and you can have that little quiet moment and then just go out there and do your things. You can be focused. Um, So backstage etiquette in terms of like being considerate and polite not being super messy mm-hmm. um i don't love it when people get really sloppy and drunk at shows um which thankfully with the people i work with they're not those kind of people anyway but i've worked yeah. at other shows where people are like pretty heavily like on the sesh before they go on which isn't isn't my kind of style um well i always think of that as like people are coming to see you oh. you know and you are aware when someone's had a few drinks and the scale isn't as it would be if they no. were more in control. Yeah. And I do I do feel it's a little bit disrespectful to the audience. I That's agree. always my take. Yeah. And I also think if you need to have a mind-altering substance to have the confidence to go on stage, you need to look into that and go like, you know, you, sh- you should be confident enough. Yeah. So and I understand like there's certain venues like bars... And those kind of performances that it lends okay to. So I suppose why that's why it might happen in drag a bit. Yeah. Um. But like recently, I went to a show with some of the RuPaul Drag Race girls, mm. and one of them just got really drunk. And for me, I was really uncomfortable. Mm. I was like, I just I don't want to see you fucking up on stage. Oh no, yeah, exactly. You know. And. Yeah, I do think that there needs to be a little... I hope that they maybe got called out after and they're like, please watch the drinking before you go on. Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, there's... you know, the, like to, to me, and this is probably producer hat talking, but, like, the audience is kind of nearly the most important part. Like, they're paying for their ticket. They want to see something that's high quality, etc. And, yeah, drinking before a show is a real kind of roll of the dice. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um like I've been pretty much sober for like the last two years okay. kind of because of what drag lends itself to um but I would never ever have gone on stage drunk because like I have too many lyrics to remember I've got I've got to think about like vocal placement and all that sort yeah, of stuff yeah, yeah. I got to remember everybody's names who's coming on I've got to remember my intros all that sort of stuff um you've got to be very honest you've got to be really honest and focused and, and that kind of thing and um there are other performers who don't perform that way, I guess, and kind of drag performers who will go out like with an idea. They'll they'll know their words to their lip sync, but they don't have a plan before they and go on. And the thing on. is, if they can do it and it's tried and tested and they're like, I know I can have two or three drinks and then go and perform. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Totally. I'm like, if you know your limitations and all that, as every performer does, that's totally grand. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's when it steps over the line, it's by holding yourself accountable but then also the people you work with holding you accountable. 100%. And the audience holding you accountable. Yeah, yeah, completely. So yeah, kind of backstage of the queer cabaret, like there will be performers who'd have like one or two before they go on who might have one, one at the interval, but like, yeah, that's that's a definite thing backstage because it's a working environment at the end yeah. of the day and you, you know, you want to try and keep things um, professional. 
Um, I'm trying to think is there anything else I look out for? Yeah, the, like the police and that, you're like, just being, being a generally sound person, like I learned that quite early on in theatre that like you have to be nice to work with. And like, that's not hard to do. It's not something Goes you just particularly way. try at. You just kind of have to be yourself and also be considerate and be polite. I'm such a believer in, and the recent show I did in the Abbey uh, elsewhere with Michael Gallen, he just brought together such a great team and really spent a lot of time focusing on who he wanted to be in the mm. room. And it was so incredible to work in this space because everyone had each other's back. Everyone was nice. We all loved hanging out. It was one of the best experiences ever. Do you think that when the team, and like the cabaret is a team effort, even though maybe individuals are showing up. Mm -hmm. Do you think when that team effort, that bit of banter backstage, that bit of support, that bit of, are you okay? Mm. Do you think that shows on stage? 100%. Okay. So something I'm not great for, because I'd often be in such kind of a tiz before things go up and then sort of have to go into like, okay, focus mode. But one of our um, performers, Ben Panthera, um, in like their out of drag life would be very into kind of um, mindfulness practice and mental okay. health and, and that kind of stuff. And Ben has just started doing like, they'll just get us together for like a little huddle before I the show that. starts. And like, we mightn't even say much, but we'll just kind of all stand together and be like, let's have a good show. Let's stay together. That little bit of connection before we go, even though like most of it happens solo on stage. It just, it adds something else that's kind of intangible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you really can feel that on stage. Yeah. Um, and that's why I've kind of leaned towards having that sort of core cast for both of those reasons. Because A, it's predictable for me because I know what they're all like backstage. We all get on really well together and we all really respect each other and we all really support each other. So if somebody's not having an amazing day or if somebody can't do the show or some kind of other extenuating circumstances happen, they're always ready to jump in and do like an extra number or we'll figure something out or we'll yeah. put together a group number last minute. And we have loads of fun at it. Um, so yeah, the yeah, that's um, that's really useful to kind of have a curated room because yes. like you were saying with elsewhere like when that happens it's a really magical thing it is magical and you've got that and kind like, of perfect room yeah you know? and it's just it makes it so much more enjoyable totally. it makes it what i believe it should be and from doing elsewhere myself i've really gone back to like collaboration connection putting them kind of in the forefront of why i do it because before then it'd be a lot of hours on my own you know, practicing, doing stuff like that, auditioning. And you do get, I don't, I don't, I don't think selfish is the word, but like you do get a little bit one track mind and you yeah. forget to go actually being in a room. I need to go, what are we doing here in this duet? Or what are we doing here in this ensemble? Mm. Or how are you? Yeah. Now I would have always asked, how are you? But how are you in the room? Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's really, really important. And I think that's one of the big things I've learned from doing that project yeah. which is like so i love hearing that about the queer cabaret yeah let's move on to your third prom okay um a well-known <laughs> singer yeah uh kate bush yeah uh and her album ariel yeah not a well-known album no because i literally was about to say i do not know it yeah. now cassie is in the next room and she has been listening to kate bush every morning <gasps> on the way in okay so i was like okay that's interesting but you particularly sent me the 2018 remastered mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i was interested first why this album second is this remastered version a particular choice or is it just the album in general yeah i'll start with the remaster because the reason is there's a bit in it where there's a, pa a part where a painter speaks and he talks about painting a painting on the original 2005 uh, album it was rolf harris who did the voiceover okay. and he has since had very dodgy 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 dealings mm -hmm. and uh, i don't know if he's in prison but he should be um so yeah when she did the 2018 remaster she put her son in instead oh, wow. which was cute okay. um so yeah uh, other than that i actually kind of prefer the 2005 mix okay. but the the reason i chose this is i am such a huge kate bush fan massive massive kate bush fan she is my whole world and i've taken so much from her uh, from her music kind of personally just like from enjoying listening to it but I've picked up so much of her kind of creative philosophy from okay. listening to interviews with her and I'm really inspired by how she goes about her creative process and the reason I chose this album in particular was that she made this album in 2005 having made her last album in 1993 so there was mm -hmm. a 12 year gap 
And prior to that, she had put out an album every like one to three years. Like three years was the biggest gap okay. she'd ever left. So it was like bang, 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 bang. Seven albums between 1978 and 1993. Huge amount of work. Really amazing um, albums, all of them. Really detailed. Really, really detailed and, and incredible amounts of work and, and really interesting concepts. Um, what I love about Ariel is that she completely suited herself in every aspect and element of making it. And also that it was the result of this 12-year break. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that after that really intense kind of period between 1978-1993 of making those first seven albums, she was so burnt out that she like didn't want to make music anymore and she couldn't continue making music. And in the interim, she'd like had her son, who's her only child, and she'd gotten married and uh, gone on loads of holidays and stuff. Just top, took a really big, proper 12-year break, kind of. Mm-hmm. So I think in about sort of 2000, 2000 or so, she started kind of chipping away at making Ariel, but had to fit it in around having a son and having a new rhythm in her life. So that was why the, the kind of the gap was extended. But I take so much inspiration from the fact that she's made this like incredible, beautiful piece of art but that it could only come out of stepping back, taking a break, coming out of the kind of the hustle and the the pace of, of what her first, uh, the first leg of her career kind of was. And I kind of like, I can, I can see myself in that because the first sort of like two, three years of my kind of creative journey as I, as I kind of set into it full time were super intense and I never gave myself a break. I was partying a lot. Um, and I burned out really, really badly. And mm-hmm. it, the burnout happened just kind of at the start of the pandemic, which was useful because I could just like stare at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that forced gap, which to me is like my 12 year break, that forced gap has led to me being able to make work that I can really stand by and that I'm really proud of. And then my career is moving in ways that I had always hoped but wasn't sort of achieving back when I was sort of on the front foot and hustling and um, really kind of had this really kind of aggressive energy towards where it's like we go we go we go we gotta Mm -hmm. get this done we're gonna make it Um, whereas with this kind of new energy that I've found there's much more room for rest and recuperation and um, which is so important like it's it's so incredibly important and I was the same as you it's like go 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 can't stop can't stop can't stop and the importance I put on rest eating yeah stopping yeah you know having a little 10 minutes to just Mm -hmm. like it was even at the weekend there I was practicing for this new piece I'm doing next month just like trying it out first time and after my mind was racing and I was like okay from now on I have to give myself 10 minutes after I do some work mm-hmm. to just calm down yeah. and building those things in, I think sometimes feel counter like productive because you're like, I'm not doing anything, but you're actually allowing it all to just process, filter. Settle and recharge. recharge. So what I've kind of landed on is that like to create, you need to use your creative energy. People talk about that, but like energy is a finite resource. So you have to stop and let those creative batteries recharge before you can go back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had no no sense of that because I was like all I've ever seen from the kind of creative industry or heard about it is that you have to hustle you've got to work if you're not working it's not if you're not working it's not working so you've got to keep going yeah regardless of whether you're getting paid regardless of that like music money mates thing and it's always like keep it going as opposed to like stop and figure out how you could change yeah change the process yeah and then you might actually make something work totally. rather than I'm just gonna keep banging this freaking wall because like, yeah. that's what I've been taught to do 100% um, so I had a few years of like being really overcommitted um, and working on things that if I'd stopped to take the time before saying yes to things, I probably would have gone like, do you know what? Thank you very much, but I'm actually okay for this. Or I don't really have the time to fit that in. I would love to, but I don't have time or I'm mm-hmm. not in the position to take on unpaid work or whatever. I didn't have any of those sort of phrases built into the little drawstring doll mm-hmm. sort of thing yet. Um, but yeah, I really take inspiration from that big ass break that Kate Bush took. And the album itself is like, not for everybody, but you can so hear that she's like, this is the music that I want to make. And it's really interesting. It's really creatively ambitious, but also like 
kind of on the other side of it like there's there's a creative journey and the creative philosophy that's behind it but also like it's a really soothing album and it's a really um it's I think it's meant to be sort of um it's all about kind of connecting into nature and connecting with the past um, and all those sort of themes and so often when I've been super stressed out I've just put on this album and it's an immediate sort of mm-hmm. kind of calming effect um it's like a little kind of Errol's annex um so I also like associate it with the importance of rest and the importance of okay, taking the time great. out and um bear, bearing that in mind that like great art comes from the hustle but a great art can that can only be sustained if you have these gaps you can only have your aerial if you take your gap Do you know what i mean yeah and um, and yeah i just i love her so much and i i would have put like kate bush's entire disco- disco- discography <laughs> by you would have had the time <laughs> yeah yeah i had barely have time i didn't even get through the whole album no yeah it, so it's gonna be my little listening for the week totally um but what i would love to ask you is like just talking about Kate Bush and you kind of saying like, you know, she really, let's say this particular album, the 12 year break. And then she's like, I'm making my decisions. Mm. I'm going to do what I want here. Mm. And then she created something that possibly she's very proud of because it's her. And then you were talking about like finding your direction within drag. Mm. What would you say to someone who's setting off in their career? And I wish I had this message when I started off to tell them like, do it your way, be yourself, trust your gut say yes to what you think is right say no to what you think is right what would you say to them in that kind of regard rather than being like don't get carried away with let's say and i don't mean this in the way it's going to come across but if you get your spot in the george then you've made it totally because maybe actually you're you'll be happier somewhere else yeah what advice would you have for someone who might get carried away by let's say mainstream success yeah i mean I think if that's what you want, go for it. And I think listening to yourself is really key. Um, and actually, what I would advise is like, look at look at what your plan is. And if you, if you think that any element of it, be really honest with yourself and see like, does any of this seem a little bit too easy? Do you know what I mean? Okay. So I think in my original plan, there were just steps missing where I was like, there's going to be a year where you're pretty much not booked. Then there's going to be a year where you're working for free. Then there's going to be a year where it's sort of half and half. Then you're going to start to see things coming through. So like I've been doing drag. I've been doing drag for, yeah, four years. March 18th would have been four years just gone. Mm -hmm. So four and a bit years. And only now, only now is it starting to feel in any way sort of solid. Um, Whereas I thought One Night in the George was going to, as soon as I debuted there in like April 2018, that was going to be it. And from there it would be like hitting the heights. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, listen to yourself and be patient. Um, Because I see it in a lot of younger drag artists, I'm going to say queens, I'm going to say drag queens, who can see because drag race has sort of, it's quite kind of a corporate entity now. And it's kind of, you can see capitalism really coming into it where there's like steps, there's now stages. uh, That ladder has been kind of laid out through the RuPaul's Drag Race sort of culture where in order to get on RuPaul's Drag Race, you need to have a certain amount of costumes, a certain amount of wigs, a certain makeup budget for yourself. A certain amount of followers. Exactly. (laughs) So um, getting all that under your belt, then you get cast on Drag Race, then from Drag Race, you can go on from there, et cetera, et cetera. And in order to achieve that there's a certain like look that you're expected to have there'd be the odd exception but like i saw the finale i didn't watch this season of drag race first time i've I've actually opted out of it since it started right but i didn't watch this season just drag race fatigue but i saw the final five i think there's one queen of color but the other four queens looked exactly the same like strikingly similar that's interesting because i watched it so i know them individually but as someone who didn't watch it then to look and be like they're like varying heights but i was like that makeup is the exact same face and okay. that was wigs are the exact same wigs. So there's definitely like a, there's a formula. So uh, I'm seeing younger queens now trying to hit the, strike the right notes to kind of make that formula so that they can go on Drag Race. That's great if that's what you want to do. But I really worry about the kind of, the like inherent diversity there is in queer performance and like the yeah. the, the space there is for so many different types of performance and uh, performers of different genders and different backgrounds rather yeah. than just kind of um, drag queens, regardless whether you're a cis man or a woman or whoever, being a queen. Um, 
So, yeah, my advice would be listen to yourself, be patient and like... I feel like that sort of drag race track is almost, it's like closer to the equivalent of like working a nine to five or something. It's mm. like there's so much less creativity involved in that road. And getting on, let's say getting on drag race and getting fame and stuff is not necessarily success. It is success and yeah. like fair play to everyone. But success is enjoying your art, creating really cool things. Big time. Being surrounded by great collaborators. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and that's actually priceless in comparison to like, let's, being on the cover of a magazine totally totally i'd love to know what you think about um because it's something i've been thinking about recently is the nuances of like kind of your trajectory whatever art form you're in Mm. like thinking about those small things like you know you just said with drag race you've got your abc Mm. and that's going to get you there Mm. but i believe along that abc there's little nuances in the journey that the successful the ones who are successful are doing yeah but they're not recognized as you should be doing that like let's say your meditation or like your organization Mm. or your mindset or you know even even more nuanced stuff that to be honest i'm still trying to figure out what would you think you know are the important things to focus on that you would never think would lend to your art doing well i think it's for me anyway the it's personal stuff so, like, if you haven't got your shit together personally, and I don't mean that in, like, a career sense, like, get your shit together, but, like, if you're not sort of mentally sort of healthy, if you're not getting the, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not eating right, um, just in terms of, like, whatever, your like macronutrients or, like, nourishing yourself, mm. if you are drinking a lot, if you're on drugs or whatever, you're not never, but it's going to be very, very difficult to create a consistent... Yeah artistic product and put it out there and And maintain and maintain and sustain so that was my my early journey was all uh it was all short bursts so like i'd be able to get out on stage and give an hour and a half performance but i would be absolutely dead for two days after because i hadn't prepared for it yeah i hadn't got the sleep i hadn't got the diet i hadn't got um the sobriety so Mm -hmm. um i think that if you're if you're not in a like I think particularly in relation to drag, if you're not in a in the right uh, place headspace etc, it's gonna come through in your art and th- mm-hmm. you'll still be able to get on stage, but there'll be sort of there'll be barriers there that you're putting in front of yourself. A disconnect. Totally. Yeah. Um. And my work has improved exponentially since I've started taking care of myself better. And as a result, then the kind of things I'm being booked for and the kind of work I'm being asked to do is way more in line with the kind of work yes. that I want to do. Um, and there's something that sounds a bit hippy dippy about it all, but it is actually for me like really practical, I think. Um, I and totally it's just about agree those with you. Choices where you don't have to live like a monk or a nun, but if you're not looking after yourself off stage, I just, yeah, I think it's really hard to thrive. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. How important, because I see this directly in drag. Um, but I do think it's important in all art forms. How important do you think it is to know yourself? Like, and I don't mean like, I like to do this. I like to yeah. do that. This is who I am. Like actually just that internal, like we were saying, listening to yourself, that you're able to sit there and go, is this right for me? Okay, yeah, it is. I'm going to go for it. Like really having a relationship with yourself. Yeah. Like just because I can see it directly in drag that you can kind of find bits of yourself through drag. Yeah. But how important as an artist is it for us to put energy into like actually the relationship with ourselves? It's crucial. Yeah. So crucial. Yeah. Could you talk a little on that? Sure. I think particularly if you're a solo enterprise, whatever that is, like yourself, you know, you would work in companies and with opera companies, Mm -hmm. et cetera, but you're also kind of a solo solo enterprise as a singer. And I feel like quite a solo solo enterprise, even though I work with other people. So like, say if you were in a band or a dance company or something, it's slightly different. But when you work solo or you're kind of a a one person operation, you really do, you really have to know yourself and you have to um, know your boundaries and knowing your limits, I think is really important in all senses. So in terms of kind of like, what's the minimum you'll work for uh, money wise? What are kind of, what are the circumstances in which you're going to work? So 
I've started getting fussier because I sing live about the live sound setup in places. Because I used to just turn up and be like, ah, it's fine. It's and I'd come away really upset after because like, it just And you're not respecting crap. yourself by doing that. No. And there's no way that like, because I would like rehearse things really well and I'd like have all my phrasing and my placement and breath control and all of it. And like none of that will come across on a crap sound system. Yeah. People just can't hear you properly. So I was like, that was a complete waste of a day's rehearsal. And everybody still enjoyed it or whatever, but mm-hmm. I didn't get the artistic satisfaction out of it um so having kind of I guess standards for yourself without kind of putting anybody else out or whatever um but kind of yeah what, what's the minimum I'm going to work for what are the kind of what are the minimum sort of environmental requirements that I need to go on stage um but also having enough of a sense of self to um to, to kind of yeah to a, kind of say what you're worth and to be able to, I think, if you don't know yourself, you're going to say yes to everything and you're kind of going to be led. Um, and I think what I've found in my work is that, like, I, I'm really clear on what I want. I'm really clear on what I want to do. Because of the nature of the business, it's not always immediately apparent how I'm going to, exactly I'm going to get to where I'm going to get mm-hmm. to. And there's a lot of that is kind of left to chance or you'll work with somebody or someone will see your work or whatever and opportunities will come along. But I think having a clear idea of what your goals are um, I worked for a company called This Is Pop Baby as an intern a few years ago. And I hope they don't mind me saying this, but they have these monthly meetings where they have like their slate of upcoming events and they always have now, next and later and they'll break down the events that way. Like that's so important in terms of um, your kind of creative goals. Yeah. So you have what you're doing now. So what what immediately is coming up and what you're working working on and then kind of next is sort of the next few months and then later are sort of like longer term goals or projects that you want to work on. So kind of breaking, it was really useful for me to start breaking things down, going like, okay, so right now I'm working in Cabaret and I'm hosting the odd show, but I want to have more, say, weddings and hens or kind of more like lucrative money gigs that are like maybe less involved where I can pop on stage for half an hour and make more cash than I would if I was on stage for two hours hosting a thing or whatever. Um, And then I've kind of got, you know, bigger goals down the line where I want to have a one-person show, etc. But I have very clear, I don't have like a five-year plan or whatever, but there are definite like marks I want to hit in my career that are always sort of on the horizon. Um, And I think you have to be with yourself and sit with yourself to figure out what those are going to be. And also like, if you know yourself, you're more likely to trust yourself. And the more you trust yourself, the more you'll give mm-hmm. in to the kind of the pull of the arts world. Because at every single turn, and this is like consistent with every artist or any person who works in the arts that I know, the world is trying to tell you like, this is not a viable career. This is a glorified hobby. You'll never make a living. You'll never have a mortgage. You'll never have a pension, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got to have that little voice inside you that as Joanna Lumley said I heard her on a podcast recently it's great she's like stay in the boat darling you stay in the boat oh, I love so that. even when things get mine is stay in the arena stay in the arena yeah. oh that's yeah like that's glamorous yeah but I like, want to yeah. get a tattooed on me love it but yeah stay in the arena stay in the game even though it's, it's hard and I think if you don't know yourself again you'll be led you'll give in to those voices that say because I was supposed to be a primary school teacher I trained to be a primary school teacher oh wow okay. yeah I kind of did my plan b before my plan a in a weird way but dropped out because I, I could feel that happening but yeah, everyone around me, like my parents were like, would you not go for the civil service? You could do your drama on the weekends, do you know? <laughs> you know, you could do your shows in the evening times. Yeah. Um, but you don't understand it if you're not in it. No, it's impossible to understand. If you're not in the career, if you haven't been in the career, it is very hard to go, God, will you be all right? Yeah. Like, it's very hard to trust that. And I, totally. I do understand that more now, mm. but it's also, it's frustrating. Oh yeah, because yeah. you're like I'm working my ass off. Totally, it's know? it's not. Um, it doesn't look the way you think work looks, but it's yeah. work, and it's much harder than a nine to five yeah. would be. Yeah, oftentimes, like, yeah, you know? different. Like it's it's just different ways of working, but like there's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of like trying to get structured, being organized. Like it it can be a minefield. Totally, but you can learn so much about yourself through the minefield. Hundred percent, and like it is doable. Like, yes. that's what I think gets left out of the conversation. Like, I hear people who aren't in the arts being like, Jesus, I could never. It's like, no, you could. You could. You'd surprise yourself by how easily you could. Yeah. But it's about the passion. Like, that's the trade-off. You kind of yeah. trade off the, I guess, stability or whatever word you want to use. Because I feel stable in my work at the moment, even though there's times where things get quiet, etc. Because I've worked it out that I have a nice part-time job that is flexible, yes. etc. 
Um, you carve out the lifestyle for yourself. 100%. And it, that takes a while. It does. It takes a long while. But I'm it's still so learning. worth it when you get there and you're like, totally. I'm so happy that I never... Like for me, I always think I never sacrificed. I always just kept going yeah. even when I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. I was still like, no, I'm, I'm just meant to keep going. Totally. And now I'm in a place where I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, things are working out. Yeah. You know, and it's really, really nice. Because you've we've chosen a life that's driven by our passion. And like to live with passion is such a um a precious and sort of um rewarding thing. And like I know plenty of people who work jobs that they're like, I don't love my job, but it means that I can come home at five o'clock and switch off. It means I can go to the Maldives for two weeks at Easter or whatever. And that's fabulous for them. But like my Maldives at Easter gets to happen a couple of nights a week. Do you know that level of like satisfaction or payoff? I get payoff every time I go to work. Like even on the days where I felt like really low or really not into it or was doing a show that was like, the conditions weren't ideal or whatever. Yeah. Even the lowest level of satisfaction I've had in a, in theatre or in drag is still 10 times the level of satisfaction I've had in any other kind of, like, say, yeah. bar job I've worked at or teaching when I did it or whatever. Um, and that's a real kind of blessing. And that's something that somebody who doesn't, whose life doesn't run like that or whose brain isn't wired like that will never actually be able to fully appreciate. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm also like, great, Live your life. Yeah. Oh my God. Like if you can do your nine to five, come home, invest in family and friends in going on your holidays yeah. and that makes you happy. That's so great. And you just hope that like kind of the the attempt to understand would come back the other way. Yeah, totally. You know? I think we as artists though could borrow a little bit more from our nine to five friends. Totally agree. We need to take holidays. And yeah. I'm saying this to myself. We mm-hmm. need to take holidays. We need to observe bank holidays. We need to think about... Coming home in the evening and have not been on your phone emailing or learning yeah, or yeah, stuff in bed. Just yeah. stop. I am now very strict on myself with the wind down. There was a wind down that happens in my house. We love a wind PM, down. Yes. The, um, you know, the little go to bed thing you can do on your phone. The yes. moon notification that goes on. Um, yeah, I will not look at an email. I will not open a spreadsheet. And that used to be, I used to just be at all hours, all hours, all hours kind of person. And you know, from producing podcasts and I've produced theater before as well. Producers are always on call. It's like you're a doctor or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you don't, you don't get any time off. No, no. Because even when you're sitting relaxing, there's always, there's always something to think of. And it's just that constant notification. And what I do is just turn my phone off, turn my laptop off, throw, throw them, them away. away. The minute I open them, there's always a... Can this be done? Can yeah. that be done? Yeah. Or I'm like, shit, I need to actually do that. There's always something. Yeah. It's like nonstop. And yeah, you will burn out. Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. We're not built to sustain that level. And I mean, no. like that happens across all careers, you know, yeah. that you can become, that your boundaries can be kind of worn down a bit. Um, but yeah, it's really important to what whatever way you can. Because even if like, even if it looks like you don't answer emails in the morning or something, even mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's slightly different, there's still you still have to carve out a way to you find um, your way totally yeah. you'll find your way yeah ren thank you so much for being here like honestly i do it's such a privilege to sit and chat with you such and i'm such chat. a fan of you thank you um tell everyone where they can find you whether that's social media the theater mm-hmm. where's the best place to go looking for you so you find me on instagram so i'm at avoca reaction a-v-o-c-a reaction and also at rent anywho double profile diva yeah um, it's so difficult maintaining boundaries boundaries we got personal we yeah, got job exactly. i love it um so yeah instagram is the best way to kind of keep up with me you'll find my link tree there with any links to upcoming shows yeah. and yeah hopefully by the time this goes out i'll have other bits and bobs that people can come and see Amazing. Thank you so much for joining you. If you want to have more episodes of Let's Talk About the Arts, follow at Let's Talk About the Arts. Very, very simple. And this episode, well, when it's out, it's out. You've listened. But I was about to say it's going out very soon. (laughs) Okay, great. But you know it's out because you've listened. Thank you so much. Thank you.